Sandra Feist, and I am a candidate for the Minnesota House of Representatives in District 41B, which includes New Brighton, St. Anthony, Columbia Heights, and Hilltop. I launched this podcast in order to have conversations with the leaders and members of our community who I respect and wish to learn from. Through these interviews, I hope to enrich my own understanding of the role of a legislator, and also to hear from my friends and neighbors about their goals and priorities for our district and state. I also will share my own perspective and background that I hope to bring to the legislature in 2021. Thanks for listening. I'm excited to welcome to the podcast Amada Marquez Simila, candidate for mayor in Columbia Heights. Amada was born in Madison, Wisconsin, but has lived in Minnesota for many years. She has the bold personality of a leader, which was cultivated through a lifetime of community organizing, performing on stage, and managing her own company, plus other businesses as well. She is currently the Columbia Heights Community Education Adult Enrichment and Senior Program Manager and serves on its advocacy board. Amada was also the president of Heights Next, a sustainable community movement where she continues to organize and lead annual events for Columbia Heights. In 2017, she was named Columbia Heights Humanitarian of the Year for her service to the city. Welcome to the podcast, Amada. Thank you, Sandra. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Um, so as I mentioned before we started recording, I just had two hours of uh, drilling uh, of my teeth at the dentist. So half of my face is numb, but I'm pretty sure that that I can that you can understand me. But if I if I fumble some words, uh, that's my excuse. You got um, it. I'll just have to use that excuse every week, actually. So, <laughs> you sound um, great. Great. So what are the qualifications that you think make the ideal public servant? So the ideal public servant would be someone who cares, um, someone who, who steps up when there's a call and there's a need, they say yes, and they are there. Um, someone who is um, tenacious and just wants to do the work, you know, they're going to look into it. And somebody who says the buck stops with me, you know, there's no excuses. I think a public servant should say, you know, I'm here to figure out the problems until they're figured out. There's no, um, oh, that's someone else's area, um, or that's just how we do it, so I, I don't really have an answer for you. Like, to me, that's not really an ideal. Um, so, yeah, I think that those are the, stepping up is most of it, you know. It, if yeah. we all do our part and we all, if we all do our part and take turns with being on commissions, being neighborhood block captains, um, volunteering in our schools or in faith communities, if we all took turns doing that, and then sometimes you didn't because you had already taken a turn, the world would be a better place. Mm -hmm. And I think our government is made to do the same thing. It's made to be representative of the people, um, not politicians. And people should be able to, you know, have a job and still be a part of the government. Um, and that's why we're, you know, we have the session set up the way we do so mm -hmm. that people have their regular job during part of the year. And then part of the year, they're working on the government and passing laws and, and things of that nature. So um, you have to be ready to step up and, uh, and do your service. Yeah, I, I so agree. I feel like people who are not steeped in politics as their entire career actually bring their own perspective and life experience to the role. That's really critical. So I agree. I'm glad that it's structured that way. 
um, at least for the role that I'm running for um, in the legislature. Um, as you were talking, I was thinking of an anecdote about you that kind of sums everything that you were saying up. Uh, when we went for a walk the other day and we came across a battery that was uh, in the gutter and you picked up the battery and you're like, this is bad for the water. You know, <laughs> you care, you're doing the work, you're paying attention to the details. Um, so, so yeah, so that, that sums you up really well. So, thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Yes, I do not want those batteries in our, you know, if they go into the Mississippi River, it goes in the ocean. And, mm -hmm. and I know we're in Minnesota, we think, oh, we're very insular. We're, you know, away from the ocean. You know, it's not our responsibility that there's a plastic island floating out there mm -hmm. and that seagulls are eating plastic. Mm -hmm. Well, it gets there also from the Mississippi River. So mm -hmm. if we can stop it from getting there. That's, that's a good thing. Yeah. So how do you think that your experience in the performing arts impacts your leadership style? Um, I was really interested to hear about this because like you, I also have a background in theater. Uh, before I, I actually went to Madison where you, you were born. And um, uh, but when I graduated from undergrad, my assumption was that I was going to move to New York and become a Broadway star. <laughs> um, and it didn't work out that way. Uh, and I moved on to New Orleans and was singing in the French Quarter. But I do feel like, um, you know, a background in performing arts does have a lot to do with kind of leadership style and how you present to the world. So I was really curious, you know, you also have that background. Um, how do you think that that background affects your leadership style? Uh, well, it definitely is. It definitely influences your um, how you present yourself and uh, what, you know, what you are what you're portraying and judging who your audience is and understanding how to you know how you're going to speak to um one person versus someone else you know and, and a lot of it is giving the information that's really going to be helpful you know it's like talking to a five-year-old is different than talking to a, an 80-year-old and mm -hmm. i think the same thing with helping your community um and helping your community and getting people to engage in your community you know people have different tactics and everybody's voice is valid so asking someone you know to be a part of something or to volunteer and then finding the niche that they uh the niche that they will fit in you know if they are a behind the scenes introverted quiet person there's a role for that and in the performing arts you know um a lot of it isn't being on stage like there's that's like the tip of the of the pyramid there's the whole base of um research, finding out what's going to happen, you know, promote promotion, getting an audience there, finding the correct venue, you know, a lot of it is, it's like community organizing mm -hmm. but with, you know, stage curtains. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, um, I, yeah. When I was in an undergrad, I, I had the idea that we should put on a um, production of Anne Frank at the like Jewish Community Center. And they said, okay, direct it. And I was 18 and I was like, okay. <laughs> so I like held auditions and I like got people to build sets and I decided what dates it was going to be and advertised it. And it is, there's just so much that goes in behind the scenes and so many people that have to come together to mm -hmm. towards a common goal so yeah that is like an aspect of theater um when i was going to ask you this question that wasn't where my head was going so that's interesting yeah and then the fact that like you know i've done um fashion shows and um and i've done fashion shows where the business is is fashion but then i've also done like community fashion shows where you know you have different businesses that are sponsoring you know outfits and you're working with 
uh, businesses and the venue and it's all sort of a, you know, a fundraising, let's say fashion show and mm -hmm. you're working with a designer or, you know, someone is, is donating flowers, but they need to make sure that their business is being promoted as well. And so, you know, it's a very similar aspect to um, working with a community, I think, as, as well for events we do in Columbia Heights. We have the 100 year anniversary coming up next year for the city and um, we're planning some events for that, but it's been, it's been stuff that's been, you know, a part of what I've worked on pretty much my whole life then. In third grade, I was directing plays. Um, in third grade, I would watch Laverne and Shirley. And then on the playground, I would direct all of the kids to then act out the episode that happened the night before. Nice. <laughs> so I have always been doing that. <laughs> yep. yep, same here. We were putting up our, our own productions of Les Miserables just okay. at, like, on our, at our house. <laughs> so like all of our friends would gather um, and we'd, I, I'd cast everyone so that I could be Eponine. So, oh, fun. So yeah. Yep. Yep. Um, 4-H we did um, theater and then in high school as well. And um, and then my, my dad's a musician. So really, uh, I was, yeah, my dad plays uh, bass guitar and guitar and he sings and cool. he was in many bands. So my whole childhood was hauling musical equipment and being a roadie on the weekends and lots of uh, firemen <laughs> picnic festivals and weddings and big polka festivals and um and then we would always usually we would get up there and sing like they would be like all right and now the kids come up and we would mm -hmm. my, my brother and I would go up and sing a song or something or or harmonize with my dad so it's definitely been like all life whole life long <laughs> yeah it's so crazy like me too so my dad also sings and he plays piano and he had oh, the same yeah. band from 1978 until I think a couple of years ago they played their last gig, but we would do the same. We'd be like, he, so he played in the Packer band. They had like a band that would be on Lambeau Field. Oh, wow. uh, and so we would like the kids, we'd come with uh, equipment and get to sit on the field and watch the game. Oh, fun. Um, and I would sing with the band at like random people's weddings on the weekend. So okay, yeah. Yeah. yeah, we had a similar upbringing. Very similar. Yeah. <laughs> Very cool. So so describe the challenges you've faced in life and, and how those will impact your leadership style. Like, like how does your life experience affect what type of leader you want to be and that you think you will be? Yeah, I that have, you already are. I have moved a lot. Um, I, you know, I grew up, I was born in Madison, grew up in the country in Madison, um, or around Madison. Um, and then I went to school in Milwaukee. I lived in San Francisco. I lived in Denver. And then I moved to the Twin Cities and I've lived a couple places here. And, um, but I've, I've experienced being the new person in town and have experienced how some cities are very welcoming and, and aware of new people and how accessible the city can be. And you can feel as you move in like, oh, this is great. You know, they were ready for me. They're ready for a new person. And I've also seen how some cities don't seem to notice when there's a new person there. And, um, you know, it starts from the neighbors greeting you. It starts from the realtor. Um, but I think a lot of it comes from the city, um, the city itself, because I think that's where they set an expectation. And I think a realtor takes their, um, takes their direction from what they think the expectation is for the city. And um, moving into Edina was different than moving into St. Louis Park or moving into Columbia Heights. 
-hmm. And I, I, you probably don't have to even really guess much about which one you think was ready to have you and was all welcome, welcoming. And um, so being the new person in town has given me that perspective of what it's like for people moving to Columbia Heights. And mm -hmm. as we know, people have had, uh, we've had a very high turnover of new people here. And so as far as I'm concerned, all those people are coming in the same way, kind of like, what is it like here? What do, how do I get the garbage? You know, how, when is, when do they plow? Can I park on the street? You know, do I have to have a dog license or a bicycle license? Um, so making sure that our city website is easy to man, you know, to maneuver through for people. Um, and that, you know, our, our staff are, um, encouraged and given the opportunity to really be the face of the city when people call with questions, you know, mm -hmm. really empower those people to know that um, you're the face of the city. So whatever we can do to make sure they're, they're in their best place they can be will be really beneficial to just the whole culture of the city. Mm -hmm. um, I've also been, um, I'm a single mom. I mean, I'm married now, but I was a single mom through most of my kid's life and um, have dealt with the one being a one income family and have had the free and reduced lunch and gone through those those times as well as during the recession and so i have been in different places in my life financially where i was you know in a, a very high-end six-figure salary and then also on the free and reduced lunch side of things so i've had the experience of being on both sides of that and I think that's just a perspective to understand that everybody, everyone counts in Columbia Heights and people can say, you know, it's a blue collar city, but that's a pretty, you know, nowadays that's a huge, huge uh, assortment of people. Mm -hmm. There's not, there's not just one person that lives here yeah. across the board. So I feel like I've been in a lot of places mm -hmm. similar to other people here. Yeah. yeah. I feel like that, that perspective, like knowing what it, what it's like to be somebody who needs assistance is important. I know when I lived down in New Orleans, um, I was down there for five years and I did not make any money while I was down there. I remember once I had to charge a candy bar and I was like, I'm, I literally have to charge a candy bar, which I probably shouldn't have been charging a candy bar um, <laughs> if I had that little money. But um, You're that hungry though, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But, um, but it really does, like, I do feel like, you know, we have a lot of people at, especially at the national level who are just so wealthy and have never been any other way. And I just think especially about like Betsy DeVos. And I just think, you know, how does somebody like that have empathy for people who are really in need and how do they even understand what that's like? Mm -hmm. um, so I do think that's so important. Um, I know when I, so I lived in New Orleans for five years and then I evacuated here after Hurricane Katrina. And I remember very distinctly all of the outpouring of support from strangers and how much that meant to me. Uh, and I'm still in touch with so many of the, the people at, at the law school where I evacuated to, who on the very first day were offering me a home, offering me like Target gift cards so I could afford clothing. Like I, I mean, I, I had family here, but just to have, you know, strangers offer that support, it meant so much to me and it stayed with me. It'll be 15 years this year. And I feel like that was a profound experience for me, wanting, you know, like they say, like pay it forward. Like when you're the beneficiary of that type of support, you're inspired mm -hmm. to, to give that support to someone else in their time of need. Yeah, yeah. I, um, for a long time, I was, I did not want to apply for, um, 
well, it wasn't, it's not really called food stamps, but basically. And um, my friend said, you've been paying into the system, you know, your whole adult life. That's what it's for. It's to help you feed your kids and yourself so that you can get a job. And it was a recession. So like, mm -hmm. there's nothing to be ashamed of, you know, things, things happen. And, um, and I said, Oh, yeah, you're totally right. And, you know, I was so thankful to have that. And it really helped. Um, you know, really helped. It helped me see even just even just sitting downtown, waiting for your appointment. And um, just being with people who who need assistance and realizing that there's not there's not like those people, it's not the other, it's people and, um, and how great that I was able to be a part of that and take, take, um, take advantage of what is there for people mm -hmm. so that then I could use it to benefit me. And, you know, initially it was, this will help us eat. But now that I've come out on the other side and things are, circumstances are different in my life. And I hope that I don't have to go back to that ever again, but if it happens, you know, it does. But meanwhile, I grew in that and I, you know, I gained some wisdom in that experience, like you said, empathy, but also just learning how it works. I mean, it's a lot of work to sign up and get forms and it's intimidating and it's, it is embarrassing. And so all those things are a part of how hard it is to be when you're in need. Mm -hmm. yeah. And if there's anything that I, as myself as an individual, but for sure as a mayor can do to help people know that they're welcome here. Um, regardless of their financial, you know, place in, in the world at that time or their, you know, um, socio, their, their economic status, basically, they're still welcome here. Yeah. Um, yeah. And the they're rich. They're welcome. Mm -hmm. It's okay. Yeah. <laughs> we'll let them in. Um, but, you know, um, you know, the bureaucratic hurdles that people have to go through to get assistance, like that's a choice that the state makes and that the federal government makes that, and we can make an opposite choice. We can make it easy for people to get that assistance, make people feel comfortable with the process. Um, mm -hmm. So, you know, at the state level, that's something that I would want to be committed to is finding ways to make it easier for people to access the assistance they need. You know, for example, the $600 that people are getting as part of their unemployment benefits, like we made that easy. Like mm -hmm. it is possible to make assistance easy. Like people just got a check in the mail, um, you know, right. as part of the, the COVID um, assistance. And right. so, so we should be looking at ways to make it easy for people to get the help they need so that they can focus their energy on their family and their careers and the things that inspire and uplift them. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Yeah. Cool. So what are your top priorities? Why don't you give me like the top two priorities for the city of Columbia Heights? Only two? Well, well, I'm just thinking about time. So you can give me more. I've got a few sure. more questions after that. Okay. Uh, my top Actually, two. You're, you're not inspired anymore. So you can give me all your priorities. My, uh, my, my top two, I would say is smarter spending. Um, I think there are a lot of ways we can be wiser about how the city spends its money. Um, a lot of that is leads to my second uh, top priority is modernize public safety and bringing, which is part of it is like public safety in the police way, but that's like a tiny bit of it. Public space, also meaning like healthier spaces for the public, um, you know, building up our technology in our city and using that kind of like when you're saying that there's ways to make things easier that, you know, we have the internet, it, it, it's not new <laughs> and um, you know getting our you know modernizing our website 
people can pay things online, they can apply for permits online, things that we can, we can do to make these things easier, um, easier accessibility for people. What do you want to see from the Minnesota legislature uh, to support this, the Columbia Heights community? What can the state do uh, that would be most important to supporting the city? Um, I would love to see the state um, increasing school funding, um, having our special education totally funded. And now with COVID, of course, this is who knows what's going to happen, but um, but we should be at the minimum and what the state has promised to pay the schools for years and has not, uh, not fulfilled that. Um, I would also like to see us currently having mandatory masks, mm -hmm. um, the evidence of masks and how it protects you and other people, which of course means the entire society is, you know, uh, it's insurmountable evidence that it works. And uh, if people don't want to pay, it's, it's like a seatbelt. You know, maybe you don't want to wear a seatbelt, but everybody's supposed to wear them. It seems like it's the same thing. Mm -hmm. Wear a seatbelt, wear a condom, <laughs> wear a mask. Yeah, um, some things are about the collective. Like, yeah. like we have our individual freedoms and, you know, as an ACLU person, like I care a lot about the Bill of Rights, but everything is relative and those freedoms are not more important than the collective good. And we all mm -hmm. need to be pulling together. I know someone had said, you know, like you swinging your arm around is totally fine until your arm hits me in the face. Yeah, so you can have, you don't have to wear a mask, but as soon as you're around other people and you're Im impacting their right for safety, that's different. That's a whole different story. So yep. um, another thing I'd like to see from the legislature is um, expanding our transportation mm -hmm. um, possibilities and um, enforcing our building codes that already exist um, and I think that would just really help protect our housing stock in Columbia Heights. We have a lot of starter homes here. Um, they are being fixed up a lot when people are selling them or people are moving in and just making sure that we can enforce. Um, I mean, the city has its own um, inspector, but to have the state also encourage um, things, other states have done this with more, um, I can't really, more mandatory enforcement, I guess. Mm -hmm. uh, but that would be something that would really help help our homeowners here. Because when, we want, when people move here, we want them to be happy mm -hmm. they moved here and not say, oh, and nobody ever checked the permits. And so I bought a house with an illegal bathroom. Um, boy, am I glad I moved here. Like we want them to say, this was awesome. I have a great house and my, the housing stock here is very secure and sturdy. You know, what a great place to live. Uh, and then the last thing I would like to see is um, help for our farmers across our state. Um, you know, we don't really have farmers in Columbia Heights, but we all eat food. And I wanna make sure that our farmers are being taken care of so that um, we can have local foods, you know, here in the, in the state and coming into the city, so. Mm -hmm. Yeah. What do you I think totally about it? I'm gonna do all those things. Yes. <laughs> Yeah, we're definitely on the same page. It's interesting, like some of those things I definitely have given a lot of thought to. Um, all of them sound really good, but some of them were new new thoughts for me um, around building inspections um, and, and compliance with building codes. So, so that's interesting, I'm taking notes. 
Um, as far as our schools, I couldn't agree with you more. Uh, that's like at the very top of my priorities. And I feel like we need to make sure that we are truly fully funding our schools so that funding is consistent, that it is equitable and that it's generous. Mm -hmm. uh, and addressing the special education unfunded mandates is uh, a top priority. And, and as we head into the fall semester, as we try to figure out what to do with our schools, uh, it's been shocking to me that, or not, I, I wish it was more shocking to me that the federal government has started to say that it's going to withhold federal funding uh, rather than pouring money into our schools and really finding ways to, to fund innovation and fund a safe environment for our teachers and the professionals and for, the, for our kids. Uh, my kids are at Bel Air in the Mountain View School District, and you know I have a lot of concerns. So, yeah. Yes. Yeah, and the federal government, I think, is only they only give like ten percent to the schools. Ten percent of, of the budget goes towards schools. Oh. Uh, yeah, the states really need to step up, especially like right now with the federal government abdicating its responsibility around education, the environment, you know, housing. Um, I'm just so grateful to be in the state of Minnesota. And, and I do hope that in the fall we're able to take the Senate and we're able to really pass some ambitious legislation around these issues. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yes. Thank yeah. you. <laughs> cool. We'll do it. Let's do that. That would be great. <laughs> Now I have a very important question. Oh, yes. Yes. Ongoing debate between my husband and I. Okay. Um, so, so I grew up in Wisconsin. He grew up, um, he also grew up in Wisconsin, but he's lived in Minnesota much longer than me. And I say that the winters are much worse here in Minnesota. And he says that they're exactly the same in Wisconsin and Minnesota. So who's right? You are right. They are worse in Minnesota. <laughs> right? <laughs> I, I read that there's a list that said that Minneapolis is uh, like at the top of this list of the cities that have the most right to complain about how cold it is. Wow, people here love to complain about the weather. And, um, but I think, I think the weather, the mosquitoes are worse here and the winters are worse in Minnesota. <laughs> yes, they are. We, we just got this flyer. This company wanted to charge us, it was like $75 for four treatments to get rid of our mosquitoes. And we're like, that's crazy money. But it was kind of fun. Um, yeah, um, but like up north, not even just mosquitoes, but like all the bugs, like deer flies and, you know, um, I don't know, other flies, other flies like that, I guess, biting flies mm -hmm. and mosquitoes. They're, they are so much worse in the woods in Minnesota, I feel like, than they were in Wisconsin. The worst uh, bugs that I ever lived through were down in New Orleans, because they were like monsters. Well, we're not competing with New Orleans. On that. Yeah, I had a lot of trauma over cockroaches. Yeah. I, like, I still see them in corners, and then I'm like, oh, there are no cockroaches here, for yeah, the most phantom, part. Phantom ones in your memory, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I still like, the corner of my eye, they still haunt me. I lived in Mexico when I was a little kid, a little bit and then we went down a lot to visit my dad's family mm -hmm. and um you know for like a couple weeks or you know a month in the summer so we would go for long periods of time and and um yeah and so they have you know it's a hot culture you know uh, um country and so they have a lot well not the whole thing obviously but mm -hmm. there were a lot of cockroaches where where my dad was from yeah. <laughs> no fun 
Yeah, so similar, it was, you know, it was very similar, North Mexico, right on the border, so very similar to New Orleans mm -hmm. in, yeah. uh, you know, latitude, so. Yeah, mm -hmm. it's worth the bugs, I suppose. Yeah. Maybe. <laughs> <Depends>. <laughs> so, so as my last question, I always like to ask people if they have any book recommendations, if you've read any great books lately, or if there's any book that's really influenced you and inspired you that you'd like to share. I'm reading a book right now, but I'm showing you, but anyway, mm -hmm. I'm reading a book right now and it's called The Nation City, Why Mayors Are Now Running the World. Nice, that seems it's very- By uh, Ram Emanuel. Oh, I like him. I love his brother, Ezekiel Emanuel. Okay. He is interesting. I like mm -hmm. Ram too. Okay, I've not- good style. So he was the two-term mayor of Chicago and mm -hmm. also President Obama's chief of staff. And, um, yeah, so this book has been really good. Um, very, and I just read Michelle, well, not just, but I read Michelle Obama's, uh, Becoming book. And, um, and that was a very exciting book to read because whenever she would talk about, um, uh, Barack, I would always feel like she sounds just like Frost. Hmm. And I, I feel very much like, like where, when Barack is like, community organizing and he's like someone has to do this like we have to be there with the people and you know I'm going to be in this church basement and he's talking to people and you know I'm very much like that like like I need to do these things and and my husband Frost has said don't you ever want to just sleep in on a Saturday and um <laughs> you know and he likes to do these things too so I don't mean to say that he doesn't want to help you know a volunteer but but he's more normal about it probably and <laughs> And I said, you know, if we have a street cleanup scheduled, I, I can't like sleep in knowing that there's like, you know, 70 people doing a street cleanup. Like I, I want to be a part of it. I, I want to, I don't feel responsible. I don't feel like, oh, they're going to judge me. I, I, I wouldn't feel like myself if I stayed home and mm -hmm. I would be staying at home, denying myself what I wanted to do to prove a point that I didn't have to. And that's just not who I am. Yeah. Um, you know, I am just a, 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 the, you know, the word public servant is probably a good word, although I don't know how much the word servant is a good word. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It, <laughs> it is, it. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's probably a bit fraught, but, but it is true. Like, I know that, you know, I, I get up every day at five and I basically work until I go to bed with occasional interactions with my family. Yeah, but, uh, yeah, so so it's a crazy, grueling schedule, but I, I like you, I find a lot of joy in the community and in the service, and and it fuels me rather than drains me. Um, I volunteered for many years at an immigration clinic in the, the basement of a church, and and I always like I would have to race there, and I would get there at the last minute before my shift, and and I would be talking with the woman who ran the clinic, and she'd be like, "Oh, I'm so sorry, you're so busy, and you know you're you're trying to fit this in too." And I'm like, "No, like I come in drained and exhausted, and I leave like uplifted. Like I love, like I just feel it makes me feel empowered. It makes me feel good and connected to the world. So I I totally understand you. Yeah." Although now with, um, with COVID and having, you know, all, so many events uh, be canceled and not being around people, I have really, um, really adapted well 
to um, becoming a homebody and getting things done. <laughs> still working all day long. Um, you know, I'm still in a lot of Zoom meetings. I'm um, I'm now on the Alexandra House board, the board for Alexandra House as well. So that's a newer thing that's happened. And so that's been Zoom meetings. I haven't met anyone in person yet. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, but there's definitely like a, a bit of a slowed down space. And I think I'm not going to go back to how I used to be. Yeah. Just a bit more intentional about um, where I spend my time and more careful about it, I think. Mm -hmm. yeah. um, because there's ways to connect with people and you don't always have to be there. Like I'm still gonna wake up and go clean up the street, <laughs> um, for sure. But there's probably some things that I'll, I will have to, you know, focus my energies on in a different way, yeah. which I think is really exciting. I mean, I'm, you know, it's one of the things with COVID has been like, how do we, you know, how do we use this time to become more in innovative with mm -hmm. what we're trying to do? You know, we don't wanna go back to normal, we wanna get better. You know, yeah. I always want to go forward. I don't want to stay where I am. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's been a really interesting opportunity to reassess. Mm -hmm. so like for us, we've just always been running from kid activity to kid activity. And mm -hmm. I always told myself, like philosophically, I didn't want to be one of those parents who overscheduled my kids. Mm -hmm. But then I think I was. <laughs> and so, so without all of those activities, it's been kind of nice. Like I feel like I see my children more and I mm -hmm. interact with them more. Um, we, we've been um, painting as a family. We have these little miniatures and we all have our little miniature army. <laughs> and so we've had like family paint time. And it just seems like that's the kind of thing that, you know, if we're running from soccer practice to baseball practice to Cub Scouts, we didn't have that space in our lives mm -hmm. as a family. And so that it has been really nice. There has been some silver linings. Yeah, yeah, so that has been, that has been cool. So I'm still a doer. But I think I will take more breaths. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> show up, not show up as as a uh, you know, out of breath like you were saying before. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, I the breaths I've been taking have been to do a little bit of leisure reading, but not as highbrow as you. I've been reading a book called Devolution by Max Brooks, who wrote World War Z. Um, oh. And it's about a Sasquatch Sasquatch massacre. <laughs> so it's about like Bigfoot. Um, but it is interesting. It's very um, realistic. It's about this community of people who live um, out in the middle of nowhere in Washington state who have this totally self-sufficient um, group of houses, but they get cut off uh, due to eruption of Mount Rainier. And then a bunch of Sasquatches hunt them. And wow. so it's, it's been very interesting. It's like they're all having to come together as a community um, and work together. But then I think uh, the foreshadowing is that they're not going to make it. But, um, but it's been a good, it's been a good sort of step back from the craziness of my day each day, just finding a little bit of time to read. So I like to ask people about their books because I just feel like reading for me is a balm and it's important. Yes. Yes, it is. I, I, I do love it. And this book has been great. I'm, I think it's because I'm spending my time very intentional and it's harder for me to say just read for fun. I'm reading 10% happier for fun, I guess. Oh, I like, I like their podcast. I like, oh, that's not, it's about meditation, right? Yep. Yeah. It's about meditation. Oh. Yeah. yeah. yeah it's in a movie called Minimalism hmm. and we showed it for Heights Next, showed it at the library. And in the movie, they interview many people that are, are on this same journey of not necessarily minimalism, but just slowing down. 
-hmm. and they talk to a couple that are minimalists. They talk to um, the woman who came up with the the 33 challenge. Do you know that one where you only you only have 33 items of clothing, including jewelry and shoes, and that's all you wear for a month. And um, and how it she had um, um, I can't remember. She had she had a disease, and she was very stressed, and stress made her more sick. Mm -hmm. And so she came up with this, just like, I'm just going to wear, this is my favorite skirt. I'm just going to wear these things. And it ended up being 33 items. And she just was like, I just need to not worry about what I wear to work anymore. And I don't care. I'm sick. So it doesn't matter. I don't care. People don't like it. And one, no one noticed that she wore the same things, you know, the same five outfits. Mm -hmm. And she got the most compliments she ever had in her whole life. Huh. And she was like, maybe this is a thing. And her disease symptoms went down. And so she started a whole Instagram challenge. This is probably like six, seven years ago now. But if you look it up, it's like hashtag 33 challenge. And you just, like for a month, you just wear the same 33 items. You just mix and match. And people take pictures of their outfits. And they're like, this is day seven. And mm -hmm. just like, it's so freeing. And anyway, I, the I Tinder like, Napier guy was in this movie. <laughs> yeah, I feel like COVID kind of did that for me. Like I've been wearing my yoga pants and my... And my um, you can't see it. My I've got my um, Ewok shirt and my hoodie, <laughs> and if I could wear that every day for the rest of my life, I'd be good. I was talking with uh, Mary Kunash about how when she goes to the Senate, she has to dress nice, but mm -hmm. apparently the House, you don't have to dress quite as fancy, and you also get to eat snacks on the floor. <laughs> so I was like, I'm, I'm getting a good deal here. I don't have to wear suits, and I get snacks. There you go. <laughs> Yeah, maybe you can wear your Ewok shirt. Exactly. Eh, maybe not. Maybe not quite that casual. <laughs> we'll see. So yeah, is there anything else that you'd like to share as we wrap up? Um, it's been so great talking with you. Thank you for putting up with my half half numb mouth. I feel like it's gone pretty well. <laughs> You're doing a great job. You're doing a great job with that. Thank you. Thank you. Um, no, I'm, I'm excited to vote for you. I'm excited to see um, your energy and your background going into... Um, into the house and um, so, yeah, I'm excited to vote for you and see how this year of campaigning goes for both of us. It's exciting and we're both new people and we both have hair colors. Yeah, we have our amazing hair and theater backgrounds. What more could our district want? We're gonna have to start doing some duets. Yeah, I am like totally in. Yeah, are you, a, are you a, an alto? You know, actually, um, my sister swears I'm a soprano, but I feel like I haven't sung enough, so I'm probably more of a mezzo. But mm -hmm. um, I have a pretty big range. Okay. So when when I my we sang the national anthem for a Twins game uh, okay. in a barbershop quartet style, and wow. for that I sang the soprano part. Wow, the Twins game—that's huge. Yeah. I it was a dream I had actually. Sorry, this is an end cap to our podcast. Um, I I had this dream when I found out you could audition to sing the national anthem. So I auditioned solo, but there were too many solo girls who wanted to sing the national anthem. So I wasn't special, and okay. so I I came up with this idea to have a barbershop quartet. And so my sister is a professional choir singer. She's like a choir nerd. And okay. so there are two other sisters who are in her choir. And so we called ourselves two SOS for two sets of sisters. Okay. And, and the two other sisters mother was an expert in sweet Adeline barbershop quartet style. Wow. Yeah. So she gave us a special arrangement and, um, and we rocked. And so we got selected twice. We, we sang the last year at the Metrodome and then the first year at the, um, at Target Field. 
How fun. Yeah, it was special. It's, it's very, it's interesting because, you know, 20,000 people at a baseball game is not that many, but mm -hmm. I had never sung in front of 20,000 people. And then at Target Field, it's like 45,000 people. Wow. So it's kind of nerve wracking. Yeah, that is. That's a lot of people. Yeah. Um, I, uh, my dream is to be on Sesame Street. That would be amazing. And, um, and to be on Sesame Street, you have to be invited there. And you can't, you can't just be famous and just say, like, I want to be, I mean, as far as I know, from what I've read, you have to be invited there. So, like, they only invite, like, the highest, I mean, how I look at it, just of the moral, you know, echelon of people that get invited to be on Sesame Street. You and I just, to. it would be such an honor. And when I was a kid, I just dreamt, I thought it was a real place. And I was just like, I just wish I could move to Sesame Street. Like, I just thought it had the most love. Um, there was people of all different skin colors. Um, I grew up, I was the only brown person in the school. And so when I watched Sesame Street, I was like, oh, there's people who look like me. And it's not weird. It's just, they're just people. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't one, like one person with darker skin. And people had accents when they spoke, you know, English. They, were, they spoke Spanish too. And then there were these Muppets and, mm -hmm. and it just looked so fun. And I just always dreamt of like, someday I want to move, you know, move to Sesame Street. And then when I found out it was like kind of New York City-ish, I was like, mm -hmm. okay, I want to live in a big city someday. Mm -hmm. Which I lived in San Francisco and it was great, but yeah. I love living. I love living here. This is a great community and I feel like I'm home. In Columbia yeah. Heights. Yeah, I feel like that. I, I just love, I love this, this district. I love the northern suburbs. I love Minnesota. So, mm -hmm. and you have to get on Sesame Street. Uh, I won't bore the podcast listeners, all millions of our listeners, but we must talk Muppet sometime because oh, okay. my household, we are big Muppets people. Um, so we will have this conversation another time. Awesome. <laughs> um, but yeah, thank you so much for being on. This was such a great conversation. I always enjoy talking with you. And I knew that it would be really fun to have you um, on the podcast to just share your thoughts and your vision. You are going to be such an amazing mayor and anything I can do to support you. Uh, I wish I lived in Columbia Heights. I'm in New Brighton, um, so I can't be a voter, but I do have your sign in my yard. Yeah. And I wrote, I wrote underneath um, your name, I was like, Fort Columbia Heights, <laughs> because we thought that people would think you were running against Bell Johnson in, in New Brighton. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so, but your sign's in my yard, so everyone in New Brighton knows that they should vote for you. <laughs> very fun, very fun, yes. Well, thank you for inviting me. This was a lot of fun, and I, I look forward to listening to it. And, um, and seeing who your next guests are. Thank you so much. Thank you, have a good night. You too. Our music by Pierce Murphy is licensed by Creative Commons and our technical director is Nathan West. Thank you so much for listening.